Well, it is my pleasure. It is my joy to be here with you, brothers and sisters, and sharing the Word of God, continuing our study through 1 Thessalonians. If you make your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and as you do that, I was talking to Jan and I was sharing how difficult it is to prepare and to preach the sermon with a title like this, Enduring Suffering for Christ. You know, when we study things and we look at things and we look at the church of Thessalonica, it dawns on you that the suffering that they've been going through, the suffering that are going on right now in the world are nothing compared to the suffering that we're going through now. And yet, the main point of my sermon will be that if you are a newborn believer, if you know Christ, if you have accepted the gospel, you will suffer for Christ on your path to eternity. I just want to give you a few statistics. There are organizations that take polls and they do counting and observing what is going on in the world and uh, they come up with numbers. I'll just share those with you. Over the past year from 2018 to 2019, there have been 245 millions in the world experiencing high level of persecution for the choice to follow Christ. One out of nine Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution. Within the past year, there has been a 14% rise in the number of Christians who experience high level of persecution. Over 4,000 Christians killed for faith-related reasons. Over 2,500 Christians detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. Over 1,200 churches or Christian buildings have been attacked. 11 countries scoring in the extreme level of, for their persecution of Christians, where five years ago, North Korea was the only one. So you can see that the pattern, even in this world, not just in the United States, the pattern is going in a direction that persecution will increase. Even looking at United States of America, we understand that there have been changes even over the past decade where our freedom to worship have been squeezed more and more. Where our society today promoting and highly defending LGBTQ agenda and because of that, many Christian business owners, school teachers, government employees, licensed, licensed counselors, they all suffer because of that. It's only a matter of time if we look at Europe and we look at Canada, we can look there and we can say this is exactly where we're going to be anywhere between 10 and 20 years from now. So the question becomes, will you persevere through suffering? How are you handling your suffering for Christ today? And if you're not suffering, do you even know Christ? Have you accepted the gospel? That will be my question today. If you could open with me, if you're already there, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I will read you perhaps a little more lengthy passage, but you have to read it with me in order to understand the context. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, 
we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is a witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Your witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is our passage. For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They're not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you? In the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, for you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. For fear the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come back to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now, we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Please pray with me. Father God, 
We come to you today, this morning, Lord, and we recognize that our suffering is so minor, and yet we perhaps are not doing too well in that either. Lord, we recognize that this looking at this church of Thessalonica, these people have known you perhaps for three, four weeks, maybe a couple of months, and they receive persecution. And it seemed to be that the easiest way to go is fold, give up the faith, to fall away. But Lord, it is your gospel. It is your word living in these new believers that sustain them through the hardest times, even moving forward. And that is what gave Paul joy. And Lord, reading through this, we understand why Paul just rejoicing over this church. He just boasts about them and the work of God in them. Lord, we want to be church like this. We want to be the church that loves Christ so much that it is moved to love the unbeliever, that it is moved to proclaim the truth, the gospel to the people who do not know you, that when that leads to suffering and persecution, Lord, that we would stand firm, that we would be encouraged because, Lord, you are strengthening us because you have destined us to suffer, because you have a plan for that. May Lord bless us. I pray for every one of us here, Lord, to check the heart, check our heart and our willingness to suffer. We run from suffering, Lord. We avoid, we do not love you or unbelievers as we should. Lord, help us. Help our church in this. Lead us that direction. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, our passage is going to be from verse 13 to verse 16. And as you have heard from the previous messages, as Jan and Max were speaking, the message of Thessalonians and the two events that take place in the Christian's life is that that reception and acceptance of the gospel and then expecting the glory of Christ as Jesus is going to come and take us home. Those are the two pillars around which we see the entire gospel laid out. And if we look at our passage, this is exactly where it comes. It comes down to the area, to the time in between these two events. And they're all interrelated. It's because of the events that have taken place before now it gives the perseverance to the Christians throughout the persecution, throughout suffering, and it leads you to glory. If you look at our passage, you can summarize it in three, ver three words. Affirmation, conformity, and relief. As Paul preaching to the Thessalonian church, he says, be encouraged, be strengthened, because your suffering affirms the gospel in you. Be encouraged because your suffering conforms you to other believers. And finally, be encouraged because your relief is coming. The judge, the righteous judge will judge those who are persecuting you and will give you eternal relief. As I said, my main point is this. If you accepted the gospel, it is a guarantee you will suffer for Christ as part of your destined path to glory. We have read Acts 17, and I will not take you there, but I want to summarize to you 
the history of the church of Thessalonica because I think it's extremely important to understand the heart of Paul and his attitude and his just praise of Thessalonians. If you remember, Paul came to Thessalonica during his second missionary journey. And it was as his custom, he went to the synagogue and started preaching to them the gospel, defending the truth, taking them to, through the Old Testament. We understand that there were few people from the Jews who have believed, and there were many from the Gentiles that have, that, that have believed. And we read in chapter 17 of Acts what has happened later is that Jews, because they were jealous, they picked up a bunch of men from the market and they created this mob and they took the whole city in an uproar and they said the whole city, um, it was a little revolution there going on, if you can say. What has happened is that they rushed into Jason's house, they grabbed believers there and they arrested Jason and other people and they accused them that they acted contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Now they basically accuse them that there is only one king, Caesar himself, and these guys are worshiping and they're promotion, promoting worship of another king that is named Jesus. At that time, Paul and Silas, they had to flee. So they fled to Berea. They started preaching the word there. And Jews from Thessalonica, they followed them and they came and they said, these are the same guys who were preaching in Thessalonica. So they create another uproar. Paul and Silas, they had to leave, so they traveled all the way down to Athens. And in Athens, this is where Paul is hurting. He's hurting from inside, being worried about the church in Thessalonica. They've known them only for just a few weeks, maybe a couple of months. And now they're going through this heavy persecution. They're thinking, what is happening to them? What's going on? They're not worried about whether they're in prison or what's going on with their health. They're worrying about their faith. As we read in chapter 3, it says, For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in... Excuse me. We sent Timothy, our brother, God's fellow worker in, in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage us to faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. We wanted to know if Satan has overcome, if Satan has robbed the word, that seed that was planted, and now you lost faith, and now you fell away. That is on Paul's mind. He expresses that endurance of this worry and anxiety, almost depression there. So they decided to send Timothy. As Timothy goes, and he watches what is happening as these Thessalon Thessal Thessalonians how strong they stand in the midst of their persecution and how he encourages them further and he brings back these news, Paul is just overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed with joy and he says, unbelievable. The truth that they have accepted, the truth that they have proclaimed to have while we were there, it is indeed genuinely in them. Their faith is genuine because they're able to persevere through this persecution. As we come to our text, we understand now that Paul sends this letter as a response, full of joy, full of gladness about this church in Thessalonica. He lays out this epistle encouraging them even more. That is why the first three chapters out of five chapters is just praise. 
praise about a church who have existed only for a few months. And he wants to encourage them even more. So as we look at our three points today, I'd like us to be encouraged. Encouraged even as we're going through different suffering here now. And when I talk about suffering, we all suffer. Living in the sinful world, we all suffer. Either through illness, either through our relationships, either through sin of your own sin or sin of others. We all suffer. Even our broken environment and even the heat and the cold and the hurricanes and everything, it's part of suffering. But what Paul's speaking here specifically is the suffering for Christ, suffering for the gospel. So take a look with me in verse 13. Verse 13, Paul says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what really is the word of God. He's encouraged. Paul is encouraged and he's encouraging them. And he says, listen, that supernatural work in your hearts that is demonstrated by your willingness to endure the suffering for the sake of gospel, it speaks of your genuineness of your faith. Brothers, sisters, if you are not suffering, either you're overwhelmed with fear that you don't share the gospel, that you do not spread the good news of what God has done in your heart, or you have never experienced it ever. Please know that. Please check your hearts. Thessalonians received it and accepted it. There's a little difference between the two words. There's a little distinction where the word behind received it is a little general. It's objective. It's outward receiving. Even as you're listening to me now preach, you are receiving it unless you're asleep. But acceptance, it is a picture of acceptance with approval. It's an attitude of welcoming. It is an attitude of taking it as yours. In fact, not as yours, but we can see through the text is taking it as God's word. Taking it as with full authority, with full implications, with full direction. You may ask, well, what was the content of this God's word? Where I keep equating it to the gospel. And you can see it. You don't need to open. But in Acts 17, 2, it says specifically what Paul has taught them. He says, Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had, had to suffer and rise again from the dead as saying, this Jesus who I am proclaimed to you as the Christ. This is the gospel. Paul was telling them, this was the word. He was telling them that Jesus Christ who came, he had to suffer for the sins of unbelievers, for your sins, and he had to die, and he had to, and he rose again that is part of the gospel so that you could be reunited and reconciled to the Father. And he was preaching to them. So that is the word. That is the gospel that actually lives within believers and moves them. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Now, when we speak about method, it's interesting because it clearly said that you have heard. A lot of times we live in the world where everything we read, we read everything. We read news, we read Instagram, we read Twitter, we read articles, books, everything. But, you know, for the generations, for millennia, 
the word of Christ, the, the gospel has been passed on from one person to another person primarily by speaking. And this is an encouragement for us that we don't neglect that part. You don't just hand them a Bible or a track. Speak to them the word of God. Speak to them the gospel so that they would be able to receive it, as we heard last time, wrapped in grace. How can you actually present that gospel better, wrapped in grace, if you're not even speaking it, if you're actually not even presenting it with your life and your words? We then come to the power of the word, the power of the word which performs its work in you who believe. This word performs work is this word energeo, which we get the word energy from. And the term describes that the body of truth that God has designed and put together, the truth where Christ is this object of this truth, the body of the gospel which is composed by words, by human words, when it is passed on from my mouth to someone's ear, and when it is accepted by faith, it is able to produce work, supernatural work. If you think about it, it's a very amazing thing. This word, just this body of truth is being passed on from me to someone else and from someone else to another, and that word itself, the body of truth, is able to convert. Now, we understand it's not just words converting. We understand that it is a vehicle that God uses, and God uses that word in order to change everything in the person from inside out and affect everyone else, and not only that person. But it's amazing that God, how designed it, we read this from, um, pardon me, we read this, From 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, for example, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. When Paul, speaking of the gospel, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Brothers and sisters, we forget. We forget how we have been saved. Or perhaps we don't believe what we have been saved from and how we have been saved, that is why we don't preach. We don't recognize, we don't remind ourselves where we came from. That is why it is not dear to us to proclaim the gospel and suffer for that. There is a requirement, and you can see. It is, produces work in those who believe. Saving faith. Faith that accepts that word that truth about Christ and his work, it has to be paired with faith in order to be effective. It has to be accepted by faith in order to produce the, the work within. It has to be accepted as the word of God, not any kind of philosophy of men, not kind of a myth, but the truly word of God. That means that authority of it, that means commands of it. That means all the implications of the word. They have to be accepted and said, yes, I believe what you're telling me. It's not just your own religion that I kind of want to think about it. And you know what? You can keep 
worshiping what you worship. I have my own pathway. No, that person accepts that and he says, this is the true word of God. And it means everything to me. That means I have to worship someone else. Now you may ask, obviously say, where is this word? How did the word bring in afflictions and pain and suffering? Well, if you follow the text, you will see that the gospel first received. It was heard, it was received, and then it was accepted as the word of God itself. But even in the previous passages, you can see that that word has produced work. Even if you look at verse 3 of chapter 1, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. The work already has been producing the fruit while Paul and Silas were there. They became imitators of Paul and Silas and Christ from verse 6 of chapter 1. Their love has become known and reported. They turn to God from idols and serve living and true God from chapter 1. They begin to look forward to the coming of Christ from verse 10 of chapter 1. Everything started changing in the lives of these new believers. It is that change that leads you to open your mouth and speak. It is that association and the love for Christ and the work that he has done in your life, that is what actually moves you to speak and share that with other people. Look at verse 8. He says of chapter 1, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. You cannot hold that fire within you. You may try to bear it. You may try to compromise and walk away, but it is there if it is, and it will come out. Might as well take advantage and bring it out in a glorious way to people who are around you and speak to them what the Lord Christ did for you. Mark 8, 38, sobering verse, Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Are we ashamed? I hope we're fearful, not ashamed of Christ. I hope we're afraid. Remember Timothy to Timothy, Paul said, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering. As soon as you walk away from that shame and fear and do what you're called to do, you will suffer. But join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. There is a promise that you will suffer as a Christian. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Remember the word that I said to you, Jesus said, a slave is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. In our society, I mean, looking at those numbers that I mentioned before, United States is not even on the map. There's no huge persecution in the United States. But there probably will be. And we are to rejoice in that. And if we're faithful, we will suffer and be praised to God for that. We have people in our church 
that are either pastors or leaders. Some of you are medical professionals. Some of you are lawyers. Some of you are working for the government, business owners. Your rights, your licenses, they're going to be squeezed. You're going to have to accommodate in order these ideas that are coming in more and more and with a greater pressure. There are pastors in Canada and in Europe that have been arrested for speaking and preaching the truth of what God believes about homosexuality for disturbance. It's happening now in Europe. It will gradually come here. But brothers and sisters, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, as Peter said, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. It's not a strange thing. It is natural for us. It is expected. It is to be accepted with joy. First Peter 3.14, he says, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Be happy. And do not fear the intimidation. Do not be troubled. So as I said, the first point is if you have received the gospel, you will suffer. R.C. Sproul said, for the Christian, there can be joy in the midst of suffering, joy that transcends the pain of the moment. Only for those who love Christ, right? It takes us to point number two. Read with me in verse 14. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. What Paul is saying here is this. Brothers, sisters in Thessalonica, be encouraged because your suffering assures of your conformity with other believers. You are being conformed. You are the same way as those believers in Judea suffered, preached and suffered for the word. You are conformed to the same way. You're not alone. There are believers like you all over the world as we speak now that are suffering. Be encouraged. Paul likely have spoken to Thessalonians and he was referring to them how the church began in Jerusalem. How thousands of people flooded the church. How the Holy Spirit was working and the word of God was proclaimed faithfully as we read in Acts and then what happened as the Satan devil used the enemies and Jews themselves in order to persecute the church and how it was spreading and how the church was tolerating and enduring through the suffering in Judea. And he now says, see, you're the same way suffering from your own countrymen. Now, there are people who refer to countrymen in different way. As you see, even Jews persecuted New Thessalonian church. We know the Gentiles picked up on that and they continued persecuting the church in Thessalonica. But what I want to focus on, on is proximity. That you don't need to go to a different country in order to suffer. You will suffer right there where you are as soon as you open your mouth a little bit with more boldness for the name of Christ. You will imitate 
the pattern of believers, even starting from the prophets of the Old Testament when they were speaking the truth. And then Jesus Christ, as he was telling the truth to the people and he was suffering for their sin. And then the new church developed, originated in Jerusalem and spread through Judea and Samaria and throughout the ends of the earth. You are following the same pattern. You're imitating them. And Paul says, be encouraged in that. Be encouraged in that. There is something special when you read, when you hear about people suffering for Christ, it gives you that strength, right? It gives you that ability to say, man, I don't know if I can handle that. But man, these people love Christ. I love Christ, but I'm not sure if I love him that much to be able to persevere through that suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, be of sober spirit and be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Peter uses the same method. Be encouraged because there are other people, other believers are suffering. I'm going to read you a little story about early church martyr by the name of Blandina. She lived in the second century, and during that time, in the second century, the persecution was severe. This is when Roman government said it is against the law for you to be a Christian and you will be dead if we find out that you're a Christian. This is the time when you, if you had a Roman citizenship, you had an easy way out. You just get beheaded. If you're a slave, that is the time when those Christians were brought into arena for a spectacle for people to just observe what happens to them and they, as they were being set on fire, as they were being mauled by animals. And this is the story about Blandina, who was martyred in 177 AD. Blandina was a slave woman who had been taken into custody with her master, who was also a Christian. She was not in very good health and not expected to survive torture. But she seemed to get stronger and stronger the more the executioners beat and abused her. She would simply repeat, I am a Christian, over and over. This infuriated her torturers, and they whipped her until they were tired out. Finally, they decided to take her to the amphitheater where other Christians were being beaten and burned. She was hung on the stake and put out for the wild beasts but they would not touch her. And so at length, she was put in a net and thrown to the wild bull. And when she had been extensively gored and wounded with the horns of the beast and listened to nothing of all that was chanted to her for the great hope and consolation she had in Christ and heavenly things, she was then killed. Others who watched her courageous death were blessed by her testimony and their own faith was bolstered. Even another woman, Biblias, who had renounced her faith, renewed her commitment to Christ and is listed among the role of martyrs. Eusebius, writing several centuries later, tells of the results. Blandina, by her continuous prayer, gave great zeal to the combatants. While they looked on during the contest and with their outward eyes saw in the form of their sister him who was crucified for them to persuade those who believe on him 
that all who suffer for the glory of Christ have forever fellowship with the living God. And so she too was sacrificed. And the heathen themselves confessed that never before among them had a woman suffered so much and so long. The writer in Hebrew says, Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are in the body. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Consider the destiny and how the life that they have passed imitate their faith. Be encouraged. You are conformed to other believers. You are not alone. In fact, you're following the pattern of prophets, following the pattern of Jesus Christ himself, whom we will celebrate today in his suffering, and you're following the pattern of believers of the new Christian church over the past 2,000 years. As the last point, I want to say, as Paul here says, be encouraged because your relief of suffering is coming. Be encouraged because God, the righteous judge, he will persecute those who are persecuting. Be encouraged, your end of pain is coming. Take a look with me in verses 15. 14 at the end, even as they did from the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, they're not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. It's an interesting vehement judgment that Paul just puts down here on paper for us. Some people even accuse them of being anti-Semitist. But we know that Paul loved his brethren. Paul loved Jews. He said, I'm even willing to give my soul for their sake if I could, so that they would be saved. He loved them. And yet here, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, he gives them exactly what has been taking place and the judgment and the wrath that is to come. It has come already in the past tense. The wrath has come upon them to the utmost. Remember, Paul was the first person who witnessed how Jews just with hatred hated Christians. Even from the time of his early conversion in Damascus, they try to kill him there. Three years later, he comes to Jerusalem. They form a group of people who try to kill him there. He goes to Antioch. The Jews follow him, right? He goes to, they try to interfere with, undermine the gospel over and over. And this is his concern. This is his pain. He says, as the result, they always hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. There's the one goal that Paul has. I just want to preach the gospel. Can you please let me preach the gospel so that people would be saved? And you're hindering. You think you're doing it? You think you're pleasing God? You're hindering people from being saved. There is a wrath on you. Wrath of God on you. 
He goes to Iconium. He goes to Pisidian Antioch. Jews oppose him there. They follow him almost everywhere he goes. He's such a known guy among the Jews because he's their greatest enemy. He's converting so many people. Even out of jealousy, they do that. He says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. That's 195 lashes, not counting all the stones, not counting all the sticks, just lashes, almost 200, from the Jews alone. Paul says, they fill up the measure of their sins. It's the same language, perhaps, that God used when he spoke to Abraham and said, your descendants will be going into the nation of Israel, and they're going to be spending 400 years there. He says, then in the fourth generation, they will return here. Why? For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. God was saying, it's going to take 400 years for the Canaanites to accumulate that sin. And then my judgment is going to be poured out. And you, the nation of Israel, you will be the instrument and you will wipe them off this earth. In the same way that here we see that Paul describes that there is a cup of sins. And the Jews have been putting sins over generations, over centuries into the cup. And at one point, the cup has filled. And the wrath has set. And the judgment is going to take place. Most of the people refer that he was referring a fulfilling of the judgment and the wrath in the years to come. 70 AD, great destruction of Jerusalem, wrath to come. 2,000 years of being blinded to the gospel. Over 2,000 years, not able to see the gospel and rejecting Christianity as to the way that they do. Some people even relate their persecution by Hitler, where over 6 million Jews died, perhaps wrath to come. We know from Scripture that this is not where it ends. This is not where it ends. Even two-thirds of the Jews will be destroyed, even though there is a hope and restoration of the Jewish nation. A third of them will thrive, as we read in Zechariah chapter 13. And they will be used for God's glory. But the wrath is there. For us Christians, we have our enemies. If the government would not protect us now, I am sure you have neighbors who would come and kill you. Right? If you've been speaking to people and how much hatred there is against Christians, you are protected still by the government. If people start relaxing and the government relaxes, there will be people who are coming and burning your homes and demolishing your cars and things like that because it's not time yet. But the enemy will be overtaken. That suffering will come to an end and be encouraged. Be encouraged. I want to read to you. Let's have you guys open to First Peter. I've been quoting much, but you haven't read. In First Peter chapter 5, you understand I quote a lot from First Peter because the context of recipients of this epistle was Christians who are suffering. So First Peter is filled with those words. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10, Peter writes, 
after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, and strengthen and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. It is glorious. We are on our way from the time of receiving of the gospel into the eternal glory in the presence of our God and his son, Jesus Christ. It's time of suffering. Whether you want it or not, it is what it is. Might as well take advantage of it and love God, love Christ, preach, preach the gospel to unbelievers, suffer for it. As a way of conclusion, a way of summary, I hope we all grow in that. Even as we will participate in remembering Christ Jesus and his death on the cross and his taking the pain, I hope we recognize the value of this. If we do, we will share that with other people. We will proclaim the truth. If we truly believe and love Christ, it will come out of our mouths. I pray that we recognize that having accepted the gospel, we will suffer as part of your destined path to glory. As you suffer, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Your faith is being affirmed through your suffering. You're not alone. You're imitating millions of believers who have suffered. You're imitating Christ through his suffering, and your relief is coming. Our God, the righteous judge, will de deliver us and will accept us into his glory and will repay every evildoer. Praise be to him. We will now transition to the communion. And as I said, my prayer today is for us to grow in love for Christ. You cannot love Christ and lo not love an unbeliever, someone who is lost. I hope you recognize that that suffering was worth it. Suffering of Jesus Christ was worth it in order to bring you to salvation. It is suffering of your own flesh and your with your intimidated mind and if your fears and everything that you're persevering, it is worth it to bring the gospel to those outside. 